Welcome, and thanks for joining us for the weekly podcast of Center Church San Diego. We are so happy to connect with you online today. You matter to God. You really do. Whatever your past, no matter what your circumstance right now, God loves you. And you belong right here. Hope starts now as we invite Christ to take his rightful place at the center of our lives. So let's jump in. where we've been talking about how we can wreck less and live more in our life. And no matter where you sit on that spectrum of faith, um, if we're being honest, I know we can all agree that we would like to wreck less in our lives. And just to recap, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, this is what a guardrail is. A guardrail is a safety system designed to prevent something from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. And I set these guardrails in my life to keep me from a totally devastating wreck, right? And I I should see this safety system that prevents me from going into those danger zones. And I look at these guardrails as God actually looking out for me. And maybe before I used to think, man, maybe God is, uh, he's keeping me from something. And he doesn't want me to experience really living and, you know, being on the edge of things is where I like to be because that's where the thrill of life is, right? But God is actually uh, looking out for me when I set these guardrails in my life. Because when we live recklessly, uh, we eventually crash. And, and it's these personal guardrails that we set in our lives to keep us from actually falling off of the cliff's edge. And that's what personal guardrails are. Again, if you're taking notes, here's another one. A personal guardrails is a preventative measure that protects me from falling off of a personal And we've been kind of centering our discussion um, of guardrails around a passage of scripture that comes from the book of Proverbs. And this is the Bible's book of wisdom. And Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 12 says this, A prudent person perceives the danger ahead and takes precautions. Another translation actually says it this way, The prudent person sees danger ahead and they duck. They actually get out of the way because there there is wisdom there. But the simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. And last week, one of our leaders, Chris, man, he totally crushed it when he talked about the concept of relational guardrails and how they're there to protect us from being dragged over the cliff's edge from somebody else's behavior or somebody else's foolishness, right? Because there are certain relationships in our life that can actually intoxicate us, sometimes in the worst way possible. And, and we build these relational guardrails to keep us safe, to actually protect us from these outside influences. There are relational guardrails. And, you know, sometimes uh, when we hang out with a group of people, there's certain influences in our lives. They're going in a certain direction. And I know, man, if I head in that direction, it's actually going to disconnect me more from God. It's going to disconnect me from the place where God actually wants me to be. So I'm going to protect myself from some uh, outside influence in my life. And I'm going to build this relational guardrail. That's what we talked about last week. So today, we're going to be looking at an influence that actually originates internally, and this is our emotions. We're talking about our emotions this morning. Guardrailing emotional health is the title of today's talk, and you know, one movie that actually characterizes this really well is a movie called Inside Out by Pixar. Anybody see Inside Out? Movie's a great movie. Yep, got some people in the house. A really great movie to see with the family or with the kids. Um, and I, I would think adults would really enjoy this film. It's really great. 
And Inside Out is actually um, about the emotions of an 11-year-old girl. So some would say this is a horror movie, right? Uh, right off the bat. And this movie, it gives us this animated view of the feelings and emotions that drive our behavior from the inside out, hence the name. And the main character of, of this movie is a girl named Riley, and she's actually 11 years old in the film. And she goes through the trauma of moving from her hometown in Minnesota, and she's moving out west. Okay, she's moving to the big bad city. She's moving to the west coast. She's going to San Francisco. And her dad, <clears throat> he has to relocate for work. So this means that a middle school girl now has to leave the comforts of her friends. She leaves the comforts of the, the only home that she's ever known. And she's in a new place. She starts at a new school. And while all this is happening, she's actually hitting puberty, right? And you can just imagine, uh, so, you know, adolescent that age, all the emotions in her life. Man, she's lo losing her friends. She's losing her home. She's going to a new school. All of a sudden, all these emotions are now going up at a really high rate of, of, of speed. It turns up the emotions in Riley's life. And the genius in this film actually introduces um, five primary emotions who act as these voices inside of Riley's head. And they're, you know, constantly competing against each other. They're competing for the control of Riley's life. And they're constantly, you know, uh, just, you know, hey, I'm the best, you know, anger or fear or, or disgust. And, and they want control of Riley's life. And these feelings, psychologists say, are the same feelings we as adults, we, um, uh, we have tension with. We actually experience this every single day okay, on a daily basis. And as human beings, um, there's a certain emotions that we feel. Here's the first one, anger. We feel anger. Why did you do that? Like, hey, hurry up, we're going to be late. Some of you guys felt anger on your way to church this morning. Like, why don't you get me flowers and candy for Valentine's Day? What happened? And anger was probably part of your week, maybe, okay? And then we have sadness. The sadness, always a little bit down. The cup is always half empty. Oh, me, oh, my. It's like that, that Eeyore syndrome, I like to call it. Man, I just, man, things are never going right. It's just always a little bit off. It's never going to get any better. And we feel sadness. And then we have joy. This is my favorite one. <clears throat> this is the dominant emotion in this film. And uh, she's full of energy, and her job is to make sure that Riley is just happy all the time. Make sure, you know, nothing touches her feelings or her emotions. Like, make sure sadness doesn't get there to her. And uh, Joy is her MOS is just, hey, make sure Riley is just happy every single day. And especially with this big move that she's going through. And then lastly, we have disgust. We have disgust. It's the, ill. Like, you're so gross, ew, my parents are so dumb, ew, okay? It's like, it's like that. Sorry, I don't even know how to do that, okay? And praise God, I don't. But it's like that little Jimmy Fallon bit, right? Uh, you're so dumb, ew. And it's disgust. It's disgust. And these are the little voices that are inside of your head as an infant, and then you carry it on until adulthood. And I love this clip from the movie, and I want you to go ahead and, and, and take a look at this. Open. Hmm, this looks new. Make it safe. Okay, caution. There is a dangerous smell, people. Hold on, what is that? This is disgust. She basically keeps Riley from being poisoned, physically and socially. That is my favorite word. Or should I say bananas? Y'all buy us. It's broccoli! Yes! Well, I just saved our lives. Ooh. Yeah. 
welcome. Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not gonna get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. He cares very deeply about things being fair. So that's how you wanna play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. Ah! Riley, wait. here comes an airplane. Oh, airplane. We got an airplane, everybody. <laughs> And, and that was Riley as a little girl. And I love that. There's anger, there's disgust, there's joy, there's fear, there's sadness. If you had to pick one of these emotions that describe the dominant one in your life, which one would it be? Which is the one that actually reaches the surface when things don't go our way? When, when, when plans are not going the way that we wanted them to go? And as you see in the movie, Riley's emotions, they're expressed by different colored marbles, right? And the color of the marble, it actually corresponds with the emotion that she's feeling. And I love it whenever Riley feels, you know, anger or she feels joy. There's this, you know, marble that kind of comes through this contraption and it gets kind of uh, sifted off away into a memory of hers. And I, I want to do something really differently today. If we have the ushers here in the house, I got some marbles, okay, that I want to pass out to us this morning. So I can get a couple ushers up here. Just a couple guys, thank you so much. One more, one more. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Shout out to Jessica. Thanks. Yep. Yep. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah. We got one more here. Yep. And just take one and pass it down. Just take one marble. Don't think about it too much. Just go ahead and take one, guys. Thank you, ushers, for that, man. We all have all different kinds of colors. When you get your marble, just hold on to it. Red is for anger. Okay. Yellow is for joy. Blue is for sadness. Okay. Green is for, is for disgust and so forth. Totally okay. Okay. Let, yeah, let me see who has a marble. Hold your mar marble up if you have one. Okay, good. Chris, what kind of, what marble do you have? You got green. Okay. He's, he's the middle school girl. All right. Chris is the middle school girl. Anybody else? Matt, what do you have? You got yellow. Okay. That makes sense. I like that. Let me see. Anybody else? Bree, what do you have? What do you have, Bree? She got red. Hey, that's, that's, hey, that sounds pretty accurate. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Literally joking. Um, <laughs> oh, Lord, I messed up. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, go ahead and take a marble. Okay, hold on to that. Don't think about it. Just take your marble. And once you get your marble, let's do this. Go ahead and hold it up. Hold up your marble. Everybody who has one, hold them up. Good. Perfect. Perfect. What would you say is your most dominant color of the emotion in your life? Which would that be? Is it the one that you hold in your hands or is it something else? Which one's the dominant one in your life? Go, go and put that down. As humans, we are a mix of feelings and a mix of emotions. And it's all a part of life. Better yet, what if I asked you this? What if we asked your kids, hey, what color is mommy's or daddy's marble? I wonder what they would say. You know, daddy, when he drives, his marble's red and he uses sign language when he drives. I don't know. Maybe that's what they would say about you. Because emotions, okay, they're a big deal. They're a big deal, and you can take an emotion, and you can actually attach it to a memory and remember that forever. Thank you so much, ushers. You know, growing up, when I was a teenager, my, my, my grandmother, she passed away. This is my grandma on my mom's side, and she took care of us growing up, and this is what that means. It was just me and my sister, and my dad was in the military. He was in the Navy, and, you know, he'd be out to Westpac. He'd be out doing different things, and my mom— and she was, a, now she's a retired nurse, but she's a, she was a nurse. 
and she would always be on that third shift, that, that graveyard, graveyard shift. And you know, my parents, they are amazing people working as hard as they could for our family. So my grandparents actually raised us for a certain amount of time. And unfortunately, as a teen, maybe you guys can resonate with this, I was super rebellious. I was disrespectful. I was very unkind, especially to my grandparents, including my grandma. And I don't know what it was. I just was at that point in my life, a lot of emotions up and down in my life. I was very, I was very unkind. And I said a lot of things that I, I really, truly regret now as an adult. And when she passed away, our whole family was, you know, in the hospital together. We were at her bedside. I remember as a teenager, I uh, kind of bent over to her, and I whispered in her ear, and I said, I'm sorry, and I love you. And I remember as a teenager, my heart sank when I realized, like, this feeling of, it's too late. Like, you said that, Josh, a little bit too late, and she can't hear you. And the memory of that day um, is attached to an emotion that I even, man, I even feel it heavy on my heart even right now. And emotions, they are a big deal, and you can take it and attach it to a memory and remember that forever. And some feelings are good, and some feelings are not, but it's a part of life. And emotions are not bad, and they're just part of how God created you and me. And our God is the God who feels. We serve a God who actually feels. And I, I kind of want to unpack real quickly this morning, uh, before we get into kind of the meat and potatoes of things, I want us to unpack and see what color God's marble actually is. In Genesis chapter 1, it says this, God saw that it was good. It was very good. And this is talking about creation. And this is talking about how God created the heavens and the earth, and he's created everything that you see around you, and God actually delights in that. There's a joy that God feels. God saw that it was good, but it was very good. And then if you know the rest of the story, we grew up in church, we see how God's creation, us, his children, the kids, they eventually disobey. And then sin enters into the relationship. And Genesis 6 says this, the Lord was grieved that he made man on earth and his heart was filled with pain. The Bible even says that all we like sheep, we've gone astray. Everyone has turned everything to their own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that talked about how God created man, but we wanted to do our own thing. And the Bible says that we actually turned away from him. We did our own thing. And when we um, grieved the heart of God, there was pain that God felt in his heart because we went away from our creator. He felt, he feels grief. He feels sadness. We also serve a God who feels jealousy. Gen uh, Exodus 20 says this, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. And we as God's creation, God actually made his, us in his likeness. He created us. He's created our world. And because He's like, hey, I created you. I made you for a purpose in your life. And you are straying away from me. Man, I'm a jealous God. I want you back. I want all of you because I love you. I made you for a specific reason. And God feels jealousy here. And we even see how God feels anger. He feels anger. Exodus 32 says this. I have seen these people. The Lord said to Moses, they are a stiff-necked people. Interesting how they use that word. They're stiff-necked people. They want to do what they want. They don't even want to turn around to see what God is telling them. They're stiff-necked. 
They want to do what they want to do. Verse 10 says this, Now leave me alone so that my anger may burst against them until God feels anger. And I like this one. It's a great one. This is a dominant one. It's love. God's love. And Jeremiah 31 says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. And this is the one thing about God that doesn't change. His love for you, no matter how far you've strained, no matter um, how, how deep you are in your sin, no matter what you've done yesterday or even today or even tomorrow, God says that his love actually never changes. It's unfailing. And he has drawn us with unfailing kindness is what the Bible says. His love never changes. Hosea verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 8, it says this, How can I hand you over, Israel? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. My compassion, my empathy, man, what I have for you, it's going up because I love you so much. God is moved with feeling. And we bear his image. The Bible says we are made in the image of God. And as we feel, or as God feels, we feel. And at the very least, the call to actually know God is uh, including identifying the God-given feelings that we have. And we should not deny them, and we should not be controlled by them either. But this is the thing. This is the life change. This is the transformation moment. We don't deny our feelings. We don't get controlled by them. But we put our feelings under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We let him control us. Does that make sense? Feelings aren't bad. They're part of how God created you. They're part of how God created me. And he's designed a way for us to practically uh, set some emotional guardrails in our lives so that we are not controlled by our emotions and we don't deny them. Because we serve the God who feels. You know, you can feel angry, but you don't have to rage at your spouse. <laughs> that was my wife. That was my wife, by the way. <laughs> this is going good places. You can feel angry, but you don't have to rage at your spouse. You can feel fear and not let it control your mind or your spirit. See, we can feel sadness and not let ourselves be overcome with depression. There is hope. There is hope. And we do all kinds of things nowadays to try to medicate our emotions, pretty much all of America is stressed out and we're overworked and maybe underpaid and our baseline function is low sleep, high anxiety, and borderline sickness. And we try to soothe all these feelings and emotional distress under what we like to call medicine, right? And that's why there are over 31,000 Starbucks in the world today. Okay, hey, I'm just, I'm feeling bad. Hey, let's, let's, let's caffeinate it. That's caffeinated. I want to get. I want to get back up there. That's why you can buy marijuana so easily. You say, "Hey, I just, I just want to chill. I don't. I don't want to feel those feelings anymore. I just want to get to a place where I'm not feeling. I'm actually numb to everything." That's why they invented deep fried Twinkies. All, all God's people said, "Amen." Right? That's 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 my medicine right there. Americans are constantly inventing ways, okay, to medicate the emotional sickness that we find ourselves in. And ask you a question. So how do you protect your emotional health? How do you go about setting yourself up for joyful success in life? So this is what emotions are. This is what it says. Emotions are a mental state that arises spontaneously rather than through 
conscious effort and is often accompanied by physiological changes. It's a feeling, emotions of joy and sorrow and reverence, hate and love. In other words, emotion is how you react and interact with the world around you and even within you. Every time we react or interact with, um, with the world around us and in us, we actually write a little check from our emotional bank account. And if we don't figure out how to build healthy emotional guardrails, man, you can find your emotional account overdrawn. Does anybody ever feel overdrawn sometimes emotionally? Is that just me? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Ever feel emotionally just with, uh, overdrawn sometimes? And life is, you know, sometimes it's too hard. Sometimes it's really demanding, and marriage can be really tough. And I can just imagine how, how raising children can be extremely taxing and challenging for a lot of us. And there's your job, and then you have your goals, and then you have your education, and maybe you have a, a side hustle, then you have your relationship. you got a lot of things going on in your life, and you give, and you give, and you give emotionally, and then one day, you snap. You know, I, had, I, had a, I have a friend very close to me. Um, about my age, I'm 33, and sole provider in his home for some time. His mom's a single, single parent home, and you know they've always kind of struggled with, with certain stuff. And I remember with these last couple of years, there was a period of time, like every two or three months, this guy was having panic attacks. The emotional account was overdrawn. There's nobody checking in there. There's no, there's no, nothing being poured in there. And one day you just snap. Here's, here's the deal. You don't have to go over the emotional cliff. It is possible to actually stay in our lanes. So how do we prevent emotional crash? How do we maintain a healthy mind state? That's the guardrail that we're looking at today. So we're going to build some together. Guardrail and emotional health. Number one, go ahead and write this down. Cultivate social supports. Cultivate social supports. We need relationships. People, we need community. The Bible never tells you to do life by yourself. You are never intended to do life and function emotionally healthy alone. We all need social support. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says this, Two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one. They get a better return for their labor. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble. And on a cold night, two under the same blanket can gain warmth from each other. Shout out to my wife. But how can one be warm alone? A, sta- a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. I love this. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three or even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You were never intended to do life by yourself. God created us for relationship. God created us for community. I love what it says. Two can stand back to back and conquer. Three or even better, a triple braided cord is not easily broken. In other words, doing life is better together. Doing life is better together. The life is going to make a, a bunch of withdrawals from your emotional account, right? You need a nourishing community that makes the into you. Something that fills you up. That's why here at Center Church we believe in something called small groups. Okay? If you're not in a small group, you need to jump in. And, and I see it time after time where people, they come small group just flustered by the craziness of their week. 
like, like anybody else, and they leave so encouraged after they leave that small group community. And it was as if somebody had dropped an electronic deposit into that person's emotional account. They kind of Venmoed some emotion into them. They spoke life into them. They spoke faith into them. And man, I, I love center students, man. Let's, let's give it up for center students here real quick. <clears throat> I, I love them so much. So we have a, a center student um, small group that happens once a month. Every first Thursday of each month. Um, shout out to Brian Cunningham and, and Morel Lavender. They're the ones who actually um, lead that section of, of ministry for us. And we have it at my house. If, you're, if your student is not in, in, in our small group, they should come. I would love to have them come. And it's really interesting. A lot of these kids, they come, you know, and they're like, man, Josh, I just, all these things were happening this week. Man, I failed this test. I got in trouble again, right? I got, I got, uh, I don't know, I, I got in trouble and now I can't go to this certain thing. Or just a lot anxiety and depression and, and they, they, they express a lot of things that they're, they're feeling at home or whatever's happening in their life. And they kind of walk in with their head down. You can see in their demeanor. Our, our teenagers are really good at that, man. When they feel something, they'll show you, they'll let you know. And you can see it on them. And I love, I love our leaders. They, they take these, these students and they pour into them. And, and they pray over them. I see students praying for students. And I see them lift each other up in faith and love. And, and you see hope kind of rise. And now that student who was dealing with all this hard stuff, they're not doing it alone. Does that make sense? And you see that God actually puts a, something on their account. And it happens because they're in community with people. Something powerful happens when you see these students pray over each other. See them praying and standing together. When you stand alone, you can be attacked and defeated, especially mentally. But when you stand with someone, we win. When we stand together, we win. A triple-braided cord is not easily broken. You ever wonder why we talk about jumping into a group so much around here in center? Why we're always suggesting places to jump into for ministry and this is why. This is why. It's because we are better together. There's always ways to get connected into a great, you know, supportive friendships around here. And, you know, we're, we're going to put that graphic back up, guys, uh, for growth track. If this is your church, if you call Center Church home, why don't you take another step and be a part of something that's actually bigger than yourself. And that's what growth track is all about. It takes you deeper on learning our four core values as a church. And Growth Track is all about the mission and vision of Center Church. And, and at the end, uh, we even invite you to join the dream team. Ever heard that term before, the dream team? If, if you see faces all around this campus, okay, people that are serving in kids, serving in students, guest services, um, hospitality, worship, tech, that's the dream team. That's who the dream team is. They're the ones that make all of this happen. It's not Josh. It's not me. It's everybody else. Everybody picking up their load. Everybody using their passions and their gifts together. That's the dream team. They're a community of believers who says, hey, I'm all in. I don't want to sit on the bench. I'm all in. I want to do something. I want God to use me. And we encourage every single person to take that next right step. Growth track. And this is the step to know God. To know him in relationship. This is the step to find freedom in your life. And if you're struggling with something, if there's something inside that you know that you can't handle alone, you can get into community and we find freedom. 
And if we discover our purpose, man, God's given so many one of us here today. He's given you different talents. He's given you different passions, different gifts. Why don't we use that for Him? And then lastly, we make a difference. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't, hey, I'm going to come to church on a Sunday, and I'm just going to sit in a, in a chair, some of, some of our old school ones, in a pew, right? That's not the gospel. The gospel is not, hey, I'm going to go check off this religious thing off my box every single Sunday. The gospel is knowing God. It's finding the freedom in my life. It's discovering the purpose that God has for me and then making a difference. Seeing God's kingdom get built and he changes me. And he changes other people for God. Let me ask you a question. How are you connecting to this faith community? Is it time to get into the game? Or are we just going to sit back? And we're just going to stay comfortable? How are you connecting to this faith community? The deeper connection that we have to the fabric of solid like faith friends will determine uh, how well we can navigate mental and emotional stresses in life. If you feel like you're on emotional overload, if you feel like your emotional account is just overdrawn, get into community and cultivate social support. Here's number two. Here's number two. Reconcile relationships. Reconcile relationships. Ever have a broken relationship? One, two, five? Yeah. Yeah. Right. All of us have broken relationships somewhere. And where there is brokenness, okay, in a key relationship, it's like a razor across the artery of our spirit. It kind of bleeds out. The life kind of goes away there. And when there is woundedness, when there is unforgiveness in a certain area of our life, we actually can fall off the emotional cliff. The guardrail is to seek out reconciliation in these relationships. Romans 12, verse 18, this is what it says. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Circle, live at peace. Live at peace with everyone. And, and people would say, hey, that's, you know, that's, that's the action step in that verse. Live at peace with everyone. Now, that's a good one. I'm going to file that in my mind. But a lot of people forget. Let's go ahead and let's put that verse back up here, guys. A lot of people forget what happens before that. Yes, I need to live at peace with everyone, but it says, as far as it depends on me. I'm not waiting for somebody else to come up to me. I'm not waiting for somebody else to take responsibility. I'm not waiting for somebody else to own this. I need to own that. That's on me. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. True reconciliation can be really tough. I totally understand that. But it is possible. And here's the key. Don't wait for reconciliation to, to knock on your doorstep. Don't wait for the other person to make the first move. Even if they're wrong. That's a hard one, right? Even if they're wrong. It begins with us. How can I own it? What area do I need to be forgiven in? What area do I need to forgive? You know, this uh, past, a couple weeks ago, um, I speak at San Diego Heights Faith Club. Okay, they're downtown. And it happens every single Thursday. And this last one that we had, we learned about the power of being a peacemaker. And we learned the power of, of the relationships that we have in our home. We can be the difference there. And, and something that we learned is this. The, some of the most powerful words that we can ever share with anybody is this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What does that look like for you? Is that a parent? Is that a spouse? Is that a child? 
Who is it in your life that you guys used to have a relationship? You guys were the best of friends. There was something awesome going on there, but something happened, and you guys even remember what you're fighting about. Some of the most powerful words you can ever tell somebody, say, I'm sorry, my bad, that was on me. That's on me. Unforgiveness in relationships is like a dam across the river of our spirit. It's clogging it up. It's stopping the flow. It's not allowing it to come to pass. And what's supposed to be free and, and, and free-flowing and healthy, it gets bottled up and it stagnates. And you know what happens to water that stagnates? It gets sour. And people get bitter. And then that ruins our spirit. Before you start self-medicating your emotions, try reconciling some relationships today. I don't, that, I don't know what that looks like for you. Here's number three. Build a better boundary. Build a better boundary. Most people, okay, they're, they're not very sensitive, all right? It's, it's kind of just preoccupation. It's part of life. Most people, if we're being honest, we're thinking about ourselves. You know, when somebody walks into the room, it's like, it's not like, oh, you know, I, I'm paying attention to somebody else. I'm actually like, how, how do people view me? Do I look okay? Did I get my myself ready? Do I smell good? Most people are thinking about themselves. And other people's pain, for some people, it's, it's invisible. They don't see all that stuff because they're thinking about themselves. And, you know, human beings, we're, we're selfish creatures by nature. Okay, it's part of our life. And some people in your life, they're ultra-demanding, okay? And they don't even know that they're doing it. There's just some people in our lives, they're ultra-demanding. We have, you know, the same conversation over and over. And it's like, hey, they're asking for advice, and then you give it, and they never take it. It's like the same conversation we have for years and years, and they're just really draining Okay? Ever meet that person who drains you? <laughs> or, 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 you know, after you guys spend some time together, you're like, man, my account is it's gone. I'm in red already. I've overdrawn. Ever meet that person? I, I like to call that extra grace required. And if you can't think of somebody, that might be you, okay? I'm just saying. If you can't think of it, that might be you. What's required in building a better boundary or guardrail is to main, uh, maintain a healthy separation. And sometimes that's good. And, and there are those relationships in our lives that we actually need more healthy boundaries in, right? And, and I'm preaching to myself here this morning. Okay, I'm the guy who doesn't like conflict, all right? I, I like everything running smooth. I don't like having the hard conversation. I let people talk. I let them do what they got to do. If I, if I can avoid, like, an uncomfortable situation, I will. I'll just laugh. I can just let a little nervous laughing. If, you're, if you heard me laugh, I'm probably doing it to you right now. Um, but it's just, it's a natural thing. Like, it comes, I, I don't like conflict, and it's hard for me. So sometimes setting that boundary in my life is, is tough. And God is working on that area in me. And sometimes, I don't know, I can kind of view boundaries as, like, a rejection of people. So I'm like, ah, I shouldn't do that. But it actually is not. It's actually healthy for you and me to set boundaries. It's actually healthy for us to, to, to be careful because our accounts can get really overdrawn with certain people. And maybe we need to put a boundary there, a guardrail there. This is what John Townsend said about healthy boundaries. He says this, Boundary deficits can be deeply disabling to anyone, including Christians. People with unclear boundaries can find themselves making commitments under pressure that they would never make with a clear head. They find themselves caving in to others. We need to find mature and caring people who will love our boundaries just as much as they love our attachment. Here's the last part. I love this. Ask yourself this question. Do the people closest to me love my no just as much as they love my yes? Do the people closest to me love my no just as much as they love my yes? 
And when we build up better boundaries, a good and healthy outlook is actually the result of that. Psalm 16 says this, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. We need to set some healthy boundaries. Here's number four. We're almost done this morning. Let laughter get the best of you. It's probably my favorite one. Let laughter get the best of you. Proverbs 17, verses 22. This is what it says. It says, A merry heart does good like medicine. Circle a merry heart. But a broken spirit dries the bones. I love how Proverbs puts that. Something you, you, you hear a lot around here, maybe my wife said it this morning, is we don't take ourselves seriously, but we do take God seriously. And it's the culture that we've kind of built here. Um, we laugh, and we like to laugh a lot around at Center Church, and we believe in the medicine of humor. And that's why we use the videos that we use. That's why we can poke fun at each other here on the platform. And, you know, it's okay to laugh at Center Church, all right? A merry heart does good like a medicine. Psalms 126 says this. It says, When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. And it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. You know, one of the reasons why children are so resilient, one of the reasons why they are so buoyant is their ability to laugh. And it's said that laughter, it starts a few weeks after birth. And by the time that child's four years old, laughter actually happens every four minutes, okay, on, on, on average. And, and there's something really special about laughter. It actually can turn the temperature in certain things. And go ahead and, and take a look at this. can't breathe. I don't know. <laughs> there comes the airplane. Yeah. So <laughs> isn't it funny how we are really influenced by laughter? Even when somebody else laughs, it has a power to influence. I saw a lot of you guys smiling right now. Some of you guys were giggling. It puts a smile on your face. Why do you think sitcoms, they have like a little uh, laugh track? At, at, the, at the back of, of, of some of those shows because it changes the emotional temperature in an instant. Laughter, we should let laughter get the best of us. And, you know, the tragedy is growing up, when we become responsible, <laughs> when we get, you know, kind of of age there, sometimes we forget to laugh. We fail to allow ourselves the gift of expressing that joyful just expression from your heart called laughter. Some of us, man, we just got to learn to eat a Big Mac and laugh, right? We need to t- take a little break. Don't get, don't, don't get too serious there. You probably stopped laughing every four minutes a long time ago. A long time ago. Maybe you need to let laughter get the best of you. 
And we often bottle our emotions and our feelings all together, happy or sad. And when it comes to sadness, this is what Jesus says. He says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Frequent crying, I want you to listen up to this real quick. Well, frequent quiet crying, if you do it a lot, say, that is a serious sign of depression. And you should get seen, in all seriousness, get seen, because that, that's something that's real. Okay? But if you're feeling the load of emotional pollution, if you're feeling a lot of emotional with, withdrawal from your account, go before God with tears and receive His comfort. Crying cleanses and laughter lifts. That one more time. Crying cleanses and laughter lifts. Both are partners in this process of emotional restoration. Get with friends who are safe to laugh with. Get with friends who are quick to joyfully, joyfully celebrate your wins in their life. Let laughter get the best of you and watch your emotions start heading in the right direction. Here's the last one, and we're going to be done today. Set your eyes on a brighter future. Set your eyes on a brighter future. You know, one of the biggest reasons why people uh, fly off the road emotionally is because they've lost their hope in a brighter future for their life. They've taken their eyes off of the better thing, the bigger thing, the bigger picture in their life. And we fail to see the meaning of the larger picture in our lives, and we can get understandably low. Life can get into a lull, and we kind of get off of the hope of a brighter future. But the great hope that we have as followers of Christ is we have that in Jesus. And He can take the dismantled view of your life and He can turn actually that right side up. And when things don't go the way that we planned, I want you to know that there is still hope. When things don't go my way, when life isn't what I want it to be, there is still hope for me. When my emotions sometimes get the best of me, there is still hope. There is hope for a broader future. There is hope for a new beginning. There is hope for a clean slate. There is victory in the person of Jesus Christ. Dr. Amy Baker said this, super profound. She said, the truth that is found in Jesus has the ability to set us free. Free from the domination of fear. Free from bitterness. Free from worry. Free from the domination of shame. Free from uncontrolled anger. Free from depression and hopelessness. Base your hope on the eternal, trustworthy word of God. The Bible says that the flower fades and the grass withers away, but the word of God, it, it abides forever. It said in Timothy that the word of God is more powerful than any two-edged sword. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this, The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives it straightens us out and helps us to do what is right. Verse 17, it is God's way of making us well prepared at every point, fully equipped to do good to everyone. In order for us to set our eyes on a brighter future, we need to turn to the Word of God and to refocus ourselves on God's promises. Something practical that you can do this week as you spend some time is talking to God from the inside out. Talk to God from the inside out this week. I want to leave you with some scriptures that you can read and declare over your life this week as you spend time with the Lord. If you need some more joy in your life, man, read through Psalm 33. It talks about worship. It talks about singing praises to God. It talks about His creation and how God is actually watching over us. Psalms 
33. If you're dealing with fear, read through Psalms 55. It talks about how, uh, how this person feels anguished. They're feeling overwhelmed, but also they're calling on the Lord to save them. If you're dealing with sadness, read through Psalms 88. In this passage, the psalmist is totally honest before God, and he talks about how the Lord is his last chance, and he spends a night on his knees before God in his presence. Psalms 88. Here's the last one. If you're dealing with anger, read through Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 to 32. He talks about not using anger as a fuel for revenge, but being gentle and forgiving just as quickly and thoroughly as Christ has forgiven you. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 to 32. See, the brightest future uh, imaginable is actually available to each and every one of us today. Every person who will call on the name of Jesus and invite him into the very center of his life, that is available for you. A bright future. I don't know what emotional guardrails you need to place in your life, but it all starts with a simple yes to Jesus. God, I am surrendering my heart to you. God, I am giving myself to you. I'm giving you full control of every area of my life, especially my emotional health. What do you need to do this week? Do you need to cultivate social supports? Do you need to jump into a group? Do you need to jump into, into growth track? Do you need to reconcile some relationships? Do you need to say sorry to somebody? Do you need to uh, send a text, send a phone call to someone and reconcile something that's been broken for a really long time? Maybe you need to build better boundaries with those who are just maybe unhealthy for you emotionally. If you're toxic on your life, build some boundaries. Maybe you just need to laugh again. Future is bright when we keep our focus on God's promises. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your son Jesus. Thank you that we don't have to fall off the cliff's edge in our emotional health. You are the God who feels. You are the God who understands us. You designed us. You created us a certain way, God. Allow us to not deny the feelings that we feel. Allow us to not be controlled by those same feelings. So, Lord, help us to place them and surrender them under the subjection of the Holy Spirit of God, that we can walk out this life with true joy. We can walk out this life with, with true support from, from other like-minded followers of Christ, and we can be that same support to other people. We can reconcile some broken things in our life because you've spoken to us today. God, the, the dominating emotion in our life, may it be joy. May it be the joy that defines who we God, thank you so much. We love you. In your name, I ask these things. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. The question now is, what are you going to do with what you just discovered? Take a step to connect with us in person? Or perhaps choose to support the ministry of Center Church with your financial generosity. Take your next right step and visit us online at centerchurchsd.com. See you next time.